Hey, James, it was a great interview we did today with Ben at, uh, at uh, Green Payments. And, and it kind yeah. of is a theme that uh, carried through um into yes. your questions from the field but you know this idea of building up a 1099 uh portfolio yeah. is is it's it, it's gotten a lot i i believe it's gotten short shrift in recent years um it has there's not not been nearly as much uh paid attention uh and i think the issue is there's a lot of changes that need to happen in order to really support an experience to 99 wrap mm-hmm. and the truth is most of the big companies as of late at least haven't shown a big interest in making those shifts yeah exactly yeah and then tell us about the insiders Ah, we're talking about buy now, pay later. It's a, it's really on fire this year, and yeah. I think people will be really interested. And as uh, James and I talk about, this is something that if you're out there and you're not uh, partnered with somebody that's offering buy now, pay later, you should be looking into it. Awesome. Well, in this particular episode, we do interview uh, Ben with Green Payments. Green Payments is a paid consulting a client of mine, a paid advertiser. And so in this episode, we never charge anybody to be on the podcast, but um, you could consider me a little bit biased here. And I really am in, in this case. And, and, I, and I say that truthfully, because I went around and looked, I was in I was in the market of like, hey, I need somebody, I need a sponsor that really focuses on individual 1099 experienced agents. I looked at the, the available ones that were out there. I just loved what Green Payments was doing. So I've been working with for several months and just we're working on the program and they already had such a fantastic program in place and now we're getting ready to roll some really good resources out so stay tuned for that but again it is a paid sponsor um but i think you're going to absolutely see why i chose to partner with them as we dive into this interview today welcome to the merchant sales podcast Hey, everybody. Patty and I are here today with ben ross who is the chief operating officer at green payments how are you doing today ben good how are you both doing oh doing wonderful yeah, so I'm really excited for this particular interview. So I've been working with Green Payments and working with Ben and his partner to really kind of figure out what are these challenges that are facing 1099 agents, especially the kind of experienced bank card agents that we would think about that are out there and they're you know beating the pavement or they've got right. their vertical or whatever it is. What are the challenges and what is it going to take for them to be competitive in the next three, five, 10 years as we move forward in the industry with all these trends and stuff? So we're going to discuss all of that today. Uh, Green Payments has had a lot of success in this area. But before we dive into that, Ben, give us your story. How did you end up in this crazy industry? And tell us about your journey to Green Payments. For sure. So I definitely didn't start in payments. Um, I don't think many of us did. Right. What's that? Few of us did. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's it. I definitely wasn't one of them, but relatively early on in my career, ended up kind of falling into it. So I started out in franchising. I was with a very small kind of regional uh, restaurant group. We ended up growing it internationally. Um, I oversold the franchise development from very early on and then, and, and kind of grew it to, we sold it, opened over 150 restaurants in that process we ended up actually acquiring our point of sale dealer. And so when we did that, suddenly I, you know, being the guy that was in charge of growth and development and everything else, and it was, okay, how do we grow this and learning about that whole side of the business. And so that was very point of sale heavy. The payment side, you know, became more and more a part of it. Um, but early on, it was very point of sale heavy. And then um, eventually we sold to, to private equity and they took us public um, and in that process, I ended up exiting after that. Um, and at that point, I partnered up with my uh, childhood best friend, Cliff Green, uh, and we launched Green Payments. And, you know, here we are today. So I learned the payment side, the point of sale side, I really understood and realized, quite frankly, that was where the, the future was that integrated technology. And so um, he had been, you know, very specifically in payments and credit card processing. Uh, and I kind of had that point of sale side. So we came together and, and launched Green Payments. 
Yeah, I love it. I think it's I think it's really interesting too because right now the big trend and why I've said this so many times in the podcast, Patty, is you know mm-hmm. the winners are going to be those who can bring the 1099 uh, distribution yep. together with integrated payments which mm-hmm. right now those worlds have operated pretty much separately. So we're going to talk about that. But even before we get into too many specifics here, Ben, let's zoom out and talk about the trends or challenges that you see for the 1099. So for the agent that's out there, maybe they've been in the business for two, five, 10 years, whatever it is, 20 years, and they're, they sell payment processing. That's their identity. What do you view as their biggest challenges today? And how have those kind of evolved over the last decade? 100%. So to me, the, the, the biggest challenge is sales support. And so where years ago, you go back 10, 10 years ago, you know, it was easy to sell, you know, 20 terminals a month and very basic, you know, uh, merchants and throw it on a countertop and run with it, right? Mm-hmm. The reality now is the sales process is just different. And so that sales support needs to be different. And while a lot of ISOs or processors will focus on support in the general sense with merchant support, sales support tends to fall to the side. And so, you know, we've been very conscious of, of kind of taking a different, you know, uh, focus with that. Um, but that's the reality of it. To us, you know, you really need to to have that sales support in order to drive business and have a sales process that focuses on technology and each step of the process. Yeah, yeah, that, that's really important. Tell me, Ben, what trends are you seeing in the payments uh, space uh, that's going to impact the role of the 1099, uh, say, over the next three to five years, you know, as they work to create, you know, or, or shall I say future-proof their portfolios? 100%. So it really comes down to the verticalization of technology. So the biggest piece going forward is people being in you know experts at what they sell. So instead of just, hey, I do credit card processing and I'm here to sell you, it's got to be about I'm here to improve your business, how you operate and understand their business and take the time to learn it. You know, if you're not an expert in restaurants, but you enjoy selling in restaurants and maybe that's what you're focused on because of the, you know, the community you're in or, or some, maybe your network, learn about it, talk to the operators, talk about their pain points, understand what their needs are in a deeper level than just what, you know, how much money can I save in payment processing? Cause right. the reality is our competitors have proven the price isn't going to be the motivator for operators. Just isn't. What's going to motivate operators is streamlining those operations because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the toughest thing for an operator today is staffing. It's not saving 10 basis points or 50 basis points or even right. all of their processing fees. It's sure. getting servers and bartenders and, and that's just in the restaurant world. But in general, um, to, to future-proof it, heading to your point, I think it really comes down to that vertical technology. Yeah, I think that's a really important point you make there, and especially for the 1099, right? Because they have to create that, ex- that they have to become experts um, far more so than the W-2s because, you know, the W-2s are sort of like finding their way around, right? Uh, that's my way of thinking, whereas the 1099 is somebody that's like, this is my business and I'm going to become the expert and I'm going to be the person. Agreed. And I and from my view and from what we see, the 1099 has an easier advantage of doing it, too, because at the end of the day, they can brand themselves their own way. They can be that industry sure. expert and consultant or, you know, they can give themselves any title they want. Right. Whereas a W-2 sales rep, you know, whether for green payments or for anyone else, at the end of the day, they work for that payments company. Right. right? So it's very clear you're here to sell payments, whereas our 1099 agents and partners are able to go out and say, hey, 
I'm a consultant. I focus on automotive. I'm a, you know, I, I handle, you know, uh, automotive, right? Or I do restaurants or I do retail or I do pharmacies or I do, you know, dental practices. And, you know, I have a you know great base and network in dental practices. And now I'm going to just go after that because guess what? You can build a great portfolio of just dental practices and then right. and, and live it, learn it, love it and, and have a ton of fun. Right. And so right. Um, that to me, by doing that as a 1099 agent, you have the advantage a W-2 agent and you have the advantage that, you know, uh, or sorry, yeah, W-2, you know, sales rep doesn't have. Right, uh, for right. sure. Yeah, I think on the W-2 side, it's like they kind of have all of this infrastructure built in mm-hmm. that's that can be good because it's like, oh, we have my, yeah, this IT department, I have all this support, but then it also can be restrictive because it's like, but I have to do what I'm told and I have this. So I think there's there's offsets on both sides and which really leads us into the next question I had for you, Ben, which is, you know, these 1099s, I, th- I think I think most 1099s listening to this discussion are going to be like, I agree, right? I want to build a vertical specific portfolio. But I think one of the challenges you already brought up was, was sales support. And when we think about upstream partners, the truth is most of the upstream partners that have a big team of 1099s, they have certainly never adjusted their support system to be vertical specific. So right. talk about what, what are these agents? What are they looking for? What do they need today from their uh, partner, from their upstream partner that's actually doing the work of the processing and everything? What are they looking for? I would say, if I were to put a word on it, I would say reliability. And what I mean by that is they, they need to know that they can rely on that upstream partner when they're out there in the field and knocking on doors, whether they're, you know, whatever type of business they're going after, if it's a deli, a restaurant, a dealership, uh, either way, when they knock on that door and they say, hey, I've got these statements, I've got this opportunity, they need to know that they can then go after it. Um, and they need to know that they're going to have the solution to get through the sales process mm-hmm. and not get stuck at, oh, well, we have this integrated you know, point of sale and can you can, can you integrate with it or we want this integrated solution do you offer it and so you know that to us is really the key thing so i'd say you know it's reliability and support and knowing when they're in the field and when they're knocking on doors that they can pick up the phone call get someone to help them through the process identify the right solution if they don't already know what it is because they haven't maybe dealt with that market before um and then be able to demo it, be able to kind of walk through the whole process with them. Right? Yeah, I, I like that. I think, you know, it's you say reliable. I love that word, reliability. I think another word I would put on it would be partnership, right? Yeah. Because I think in the past, it was much more, the, the view of the 1099 historically has been vendor. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like my processor is my vendor. They just happen to provide a service that I offer my clients in whatever way I choose. But now yeah. it's got to be, well, wait a minute. I know I don't only need payment processing. I now need a technology solution. Mm-hmm. I need support for that technology solution. I need help installing that point that technology solution, right? And I need it to all be seamless. Uh-huh. And so I think it's kind of, you know, they're now getting into the stage where they need partnership. So let's talk about green payments for a minute. Um, you know, I've been really impressed with what you guys have done. Uh, you and Cliff have really built a, a really great team of 1099s, a team that's growing. Submission count is increasing which is actually a little bit unusual right now. Most of the the larger companies out there, their 1099 is kind of dwindling as they put more focus on direct ISV deals. But you guys have been growing on the 1099 uh, side. How is that? What are you doing to drive growth there? 
So I think it starts with who we align ourselves with. So one thing that, that Cliff and I talk about often is, is you know, we want to focus on those who are experienced that 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 just are simply looking for better support and, and better access to the technology and the tools that are that we have and can provide to them. Right. So to you know, to your point, James, a, a lot of the upstream partners that have been out there for many years and, and have worked with these 1099 agents and, and the ones that that we've uh, that we work with every day. Uh, you know, they, they've shifted their focus, whatever their business decisions and reasons are, their focus has shifted. So those agents kind of feel left alone. They feel like, look, we built these great companies and they helped to be a part of building them. And now they're just kind of out on their own. And sure, they, they in many cases have great portfolios they built there, but they're not able to keep growing it. And it's just become a stagnant thing. And so what, you know, for those who want growth and want new opportunity, um, you know, what we do that kind of helps them a ton is by providing those solutions based on the industry. So they can reach out and say, hey, I've got a restaurant, but even if it's a restaurant, are you fast casual or are you fine dining? Are you a bar? Each one of those needs a different solution. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, I can't just provide one point of sale solution and say, this is great for everyone. Because in the end, the operator is going to make that choice. And sure, we could sell them, we could convince them of it. But at the end of the day, once we install it and they're utilizing it, they're never going to keep it long term if it's not the right, the truly the right solution. So that's, I think, one of the really key things is providing that kind of list of solutions and that ability for an agent to make a quick phone call, go into our support docs, pull that information, access it and run with it when they're selling. Mm -hmm. um, and we have an integrations desk that they can reach out to. So outside of the solutions that we generally put out there and offer ourselves, right? The reality is there's hundreds and thousands of others that we can integrate with, but can we integrate? And that's always the question, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so we have a process internally where they can reach out to our team. We'll do that research for them. We'll dig in and make sure that they have the answers that they need rather than them having to try to dig it up on their own and make phone calls and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and, and waste time, quite frankly, that they could be out selling, just trying to figure out, can I go work with this merchant? We tell them, look, jump to the next merchant, keep rolling, keep knocking on doors, let us do that research and we'll get back to you and, and confirm. Um, and then the other big piece of it, which again, I think is something that's fallen off uh, with a lot of, the, of other upstream partners that have been out there, uh, is support and, and our support is 24-7. So we built our own in-house 24-7 support. If you need something, you call in after hours. They're trained by me and our team here. They know, you know, they, they're, they're not, right. you know, um, it's not going directly to the acquirer or, or whatever. They, the calls are coming to our office so that we can address whatever the needs are. Uh, and I think that's another thing that both on the sales side and then what falls into the support side is a big piece of it. Um, yeah. And one big thing we always joke about internally is, you know, as an ISO, we're an independent sales organization, right? The reality is we view it as an independent support organization. Because at the end of the day, we're here to support, whether it be our merchants or most importantly, our agents, that's what we need to do. Yeah. Because if we support our agents, everything else falls into place. And so uh, that's, I mean, I think the, the main, yeah. main you know, points. You know, one, one follow-up question I have to that that I think is kind of interesting. I mean, you know, we both touched on it a couple of times here. I mean, it's, and it's, I think it's no secret that, you know, the vast majority of the industry in terms of you look at the big companies that were built on the back of 1099 distribution, most of them have either completely stopped with 1099 channel or they have kept all the legacy processes in place, but they're milking kind of that 1099 channel to fund their uh, move into the ISV 
what what's fueling the shift and why aren't you guys and it's it's very obvious to me in working with you guys that you're like all in on the 1099 i mean that's your distribution channel that's what you're yeah. you're forming everything around that why are you doing that versus kind of what a lot of the other players are doing for sure so i i think a lot of it comes down to just our our approach to business more than anything else so you know cliff's cliff who's my partner started out as a 1099 agent himself right and yep. then built an iso grew it and then went independent and he and i partnered up at that point and he understood fully what it took to be successful and, and the value that it could bring to himself his family right. and, and everyone around him right and so to us that's what we see and i will say for me personally also coming from the franchise world you know as a franchisor you're able to help people build a business grow a business and and do amazing things right and so to me, our business is obviously not a franchise, right? But it's similar in that way where we're able to work with our 1099 agents that build their own business and their book, their portfolio and go out there and make a big impact in their community. And so to us, that's the amazing reward. I, I feel a big reason why it shifted elsewhere is because quite frankly, there's been a ton of capital, a ton of investment companies going public and raising money that just drives other decisions. Look, a 1099 sales channel is not the least expensive sales channel, right? At the end of the right. day, sure, maybe up front, it's less capital intensive, but the reality is long-term, it's way more expensive. So for right. these other companies that have raised capital and brought money in, at the end, they just look at it and say, you know what? I can burn out my agents. And then all of that revenue that I'm paying them is mine. And so to us, that, that that's just not good business. That's not the way to, to develop relationships or to maintain relationships. And so, um, but I think that's a big part of it, right? Is you've got a lot of this outside capital that's come into our industry and it's shifted people's uh, value and, and and what they value or their value proposition to what they value. Yeah, I love that you I love you brought up the outside capital thing. That is really interesting. I had thought of it, I hadn't thought of it from that perspective, but it's true because a lot of times the outside capital, the other thing they'll look at is 1099 is just a very complex model. And it's kind of, it's like deceptive because you look at it, like you said, it's like, oh, the upfront cost is zero sort of, but not mm -hmm. really because you got to recruit and you have to have recruiters and you have to train and you have to have all, you know, and you got to fly them out and talk to them and you know, whatever it is, there's all these hidden costs, but yeah. then it's like, what's our return going to be? And so figuring out things like cost of acquisition, um, of, you know, cost, cost of acquiring a new merchant account, it's actually really difficult to quantify that. And I think private equity firms, especially, they want things that are quantifiable. So they look yeah. at an ISV and they're like, oh, well. Our cost of acquisition is $1,237.59 through yeah. Facebook ads and Google pay-per-click and whatever else. Let's just dump $4 million into that. I don't know about this 1099 thing. And I think there's kind of been this uncertainty where the, the outside capital is kind of like, eh, you know, I don't know about that. Right. And so yeah. that's interesting. It's the, and, and it's a lot more to manage, right? At the end of the day, if I have W2 staff, they have to show up, they're on payroll. Right. You're, you're managing it very closely and very tightly. And so I think that's the right. other big piece when there's outside capital, to your point, they want to be able to not just manage it and, and define the, the, the ROI, but also manage it day in, day out. And I right. think mm -hmm. that's the other big piece that, look, having a 1099 sales force and agent base it, it can be complicated at times, right? Different people come yeah. from different, with different expectations and, and different backgrounds and experiences. And you have to measure all of that differently. Whereas right. you build a right. W2 Salesforce, you can set a very strict criteria. We're only hiring this person. They fit this defined box. Right. And now your team fits that defined box. Whereas 109 is very different to us. That's what's exciting. And, you know, look, Cliff and I bootstrapped, you know, everything ourselves from day one. And so we don't have that outside capital. We don't have that 
that you know person on our back and that outside investor that's telling us what to do at the end of the day we get to do business with people we want to do business with and at times there's some we don't you know we, we get that choice right. right right whereas you know also in a w2 environment it's also a lot tougher right you know sure. you bring someone in and they make a big impact but for whatever reason you don't want them there it's yeah. always, you know it's also a lot harder yeah. to to make those choices about who, who you work with so yeah. uh yeah. you know i think that's really our our key thing too yeah Good stuff. Okay. So let's, let's turn this and get like super practical here. So, you know, it sounds rosy to say you have really good support, right? Everybody says that. Um, it sounds exciting to talk about how 1099 should focus on verticals and selling technology, but let's bring it down where the rubber meets the road. Like what does that actually look like? So mm -hmm. I'm a 1099. I'm currently going kind of scattershot. I keep hearing James and Patty talking about verticalization every week. And I'm like, yes, I want to do that. And maybe I have a vertical in mind that I want to go after why would I partner with green payments and how do you guys work with your partners? How is your support support actually different to enable yeah. me to be able as a 1099 to go after these verticals and be successful that way? For sure. So it starts really in the beginning and it starts in the knowledge and training that the agents get. So we have a, a, a monthly training that they're able to access and we built it around and uh, around each set of technology. So every month it's a different rollout that we do. Um, and, and we split it out by solution, right? So mm. if it's a, you know, whatever that vertical is, they're able to get knowledge on it. So to your point, if they want to learn about pharmacies and how we go after pharmacies, they can learn about that. If they want to learn about restaurants and how we go after restaurants, they can learn about that. Uh, and the other side of it is for us, even the implementation side. So once they sell it, how we implement is also built that way. So we have separated our team out Who's handling gateways and terminals? Who's handling the full point of sale in that certain industry? You know, it's built so that we can then bring in on the restaurant side, person overseeing our restaurant point of sale implementations has restaurant background and knowledge. So it's not just someone that understands the tech or understands payments, but they truly understand restaurants and what the operators need so that when things come up, they can talk the lingo. They understand it. On the automotive right. side, we've got, you know, a team that has automotive experience and can handle and understand the lingo and how dealers work and how, what dealers are looking for. And so um, that is really a big piece of it. Um, and then the, the other way that we make it easier for our agents really is, you know, we have a no upfront cost, you know, program for point of sale and terminals. So it gives them the ability to break through some of those barriers that otherwise they would be falling into if they were, you know, you got to walk in and this restaurant needs $15,000 worth of equipment. It can be a tougher sell than walking in saying, hey, we've got a program. Here's what the numbers look like. Here's what we can do for you. And it's not going to cost you anything up front. Um, so that's an, another big piece. Um, we also, uh, and it, uh, another big part of what we do is our road warrior team is what we call it. And basically we have a big opportunity you know, it's a basic terminal. At the end of the day, you know, ship the terminal, let, let yeah, anyone else get, get, get the merchant on the phone or get the agent on the phone if they're, you know, active and, and able to go do the install themselves. Otherwise, we'll get on the phone with the merchant directly ourselves, walk them through going right. live right. and let the agent know, counts up, you're good to go, right? It's pretty traditional. Right. One of the other pieces that we do at no real cost to the agent, we will send our team out for the install. Our in-house team going on site to be there, spend up to a week, whatever it really takes at any given point, you know, depending on the opportunity to make right. sure it's a not just a successful, hey, we plugged in the terminal, but the next right. day, once they're live, if they're doing a dual price program, does the staff and the employees, do they understand the lingo and how to deal with staff when they come through the door and start questioning them? 
Most right. of the time they don't. And that's where, from what we found early on, that's where a lot of things fell off, right? It wasn't that we couldn't get the owner on board or the, the GM or the, the the kind of the key point of contact where things always would go sideways. And, and, and I believe, you know, anywhere would go sideways is with the employees, right? And then kind of, you know, voicing concern about dual price or how the point of sale operates different than what they had previously. And so we have our team there on site throughout that go live to make sure it's a smooth, uh, you know, it's it's a smooth go live and that there's good solid retention and, and a relationship built with that merchant. Yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah, that's really great. Okay, so, so tell me, um, then for the experienced 1099 agent who's out there listening today, what would be the top, say, one or two tips that you could share in terms of what other successful agents are doing and how they can sort of set themselves up for even greater success in 2024? For sure. So it kind of ties back to some of the stuff we, we've talked about previously. But to me, it would be picking one, two, maybe three industries you want to go after. Don't feel like you need to be the expert on every type of industry because, you know, and, and our team will kind of joke internally because we've got all these different industry verticals that we support and there's a plethora of them. But the reality is that's because each agent's going to have their own type of industry they want right. to go after. Some may want to go after dental practices because maybe they're a retired dentist or their family, you know, one of their parents or siblings is, is in that world. Um, maybe they want to go after pharmacies or, or car dealerships or they want to go after auto body repair shops. Like everyone's going to have their own focus that they want for various reasons. Pick that one, two or three and just go all in because what we see the most profitable, strongest most stable and most valuable portfolios are built that way. When you've got integrated technology with great support, great service, and I will say a great salesperson, right? That's that relationship manager that's coddling them and keeping them on board. And when something comes up, that's just not perfect because they got a charge back and they didn't feel like they should have got a charge back, but there's a, a voice there to talk them through it, explain it and, and make sure that they're comfortable. At the end of the day, that builds the strongest, most sustainable, and most valuable portfolio. So to me, uh, that's really the way to build a future-proof portfolio is to have that, that tech nice and tight. That's that's really important. That's really good. I really like that. Um, okay, so before we wrap up today, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about what it means to partner with Green Payments, what type of partners you're looking for, and you know where agents can go to learn more about, about um, the company. For sure. So partnering, you know, with us means a true partnership. So, you know, we said it, you know, I said it throughout, but at the end of the day, we are, we value the relationships and the partnerships that with our agents, and it's a true partnership. If they need, you know, a certain type of technology or they have a certain vertical they want to go after, maybe it's a vertical that we haven't seen. I, it'd be pretty rare, but it, maybe it's some niche thing. Let us be the one to dig in and, and handle that for you while you go after building relationships and selling. And we'll be that partner for you. So um, that, that's a big part of it. And our goal will be to sit down, put together a plan that says, look, do you want to be a 5,000 a month residual? 10, where, where do you want to get to in your own life? What are your goals for your family, for yourself? And we'll sit down and put a true plan together that step-by-step step lays out how you're going to get there. How many oh, nice. accounts do you need to go after? How many accounts do you need to board? What do those look like? What's the technology you need to become an expert on? We'll get, get you scheduled with some demos so you can learn about that tech and really dig in and learn the business. Um, and then from that, you know, 
you we're confident you'll hit those goals and we see it, you know, we see it constantly. So um, the other thing I'll say is that, you know, those who are looking for are experienced agents that have been out there. Maybe their upstream partner has been acquired. Things have changed. Dynamics different than what it was. Maybe management's changed. Uh, or maybe they're just looking to see what other options are out there. They may want to secure themselves. Hey, they've got this one solid portfolio here and they just want to build another portfolio to balance things out and not have everything all in with this one company because they've heard the horror stories and things that unfortunately have happened across our industry over the last several years. And they want to you know, protect themselves a little bit. Right. So that happens a ton as well. So any of those people that that they may, you know, regardless of where they're at in their journey, They've got some knowledge. They've got some experience. They understand maybe James and, and Patty, they've been listening to you guys and, 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 you know, know the business, but want some extra support to guide them along the way. We'd love to, to have them reach out. Um, our, you know, website's greenpayments.io. You can also email, you know, partners at greenpayments.io uh, or, or go to earnerresidual.com and learn more about what we do and how we do it. And, you know, we'd be happy to connect you with some of our other agent partners that have been successful, have done it and get their perspective. Uh, because, look, we, you know, our view is that we're all community. We're in this together and, you know, to, to build a, uh, you know, a, a great company and, and keep doing it. It's uh, greenpayments.io, right, was the URL? That's exactly what I was going to say. Yes. <laughs> ben, it's such a pleasure having you on the podcast. Really appreciate your insights. Congratulations on your success working with these 1099s. And, uh, of course, wish you continued success out there. No doubt. Appreciate it, James and Patty. Thank you so much for having me. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field, with James Shepard. So Patty, in questions from the field today, I really want to touch on uh, my work with green payments and more specifically what I believe processors need to do today if they want to be successful with 1099 agents. Um, you know, I touched on it at the, at the very beginning of the podcast. Of course, I do have an active consulting relationship with um, green payments. And, you know, I take my reputation very seriously. It's my most valuable asset. Of and course. so- you know, I was looking around, I had, you know, some different uh, sponsors that I had for a long time and, and contracts ended. And so I was kind of like, I, you know, who do I want to work with? And a lot of different companies that would love to have me kind of promote them and, and, you know, bring to the audience. And what I was looking for was a couple things. And I want to touch on each of those just really quickly. We talked about it a little bit with Ben a second ago, but I think it's so crucial for those out there to understand. So the number one thing I was looking for was um, I wanted to be able to promote for the experienced individual 1099 agent. I wanted to find a company that had built their business around vertical specific, mm -hmm. right? So everything from the training, from the technology, you know, having that matrix of like, here are like, I had uh, green payments actually send me a matrix when we started working together of like, which industries and which solutions do you have for which industries? And we mm -hmm. talked through each of those and said, you know, well, is there one we need to add? Or, you know, well, what about this company? If you talk to that, you know what I mean? And just yeah. making sure that we've got all of the right, you know, all the core verticals covered where we have that solution. And then, and then the next part of it was to me was the true partnership. And we touched on that quite a bit in the interview, but things like, for instance, you know, with green payments where they're, you know, when a new agent is is calling and they're they're actually like you know going to move forward they'll literally pay to fly them out to their office mm -hmm. to talk through with them and say okay what do you need do you need capital 
Yeah. Right. Do you need a free placement program? How are we going to handle when you go to sell a, a, a merchant and they need $20,000 worth of point of sale equipment for free? Right. How are we going to finance that? You know, what's, what's the schedule a going to look like? You know, all of these things, that real actual partnership, again, not, you know, from a financial perspective, from a support perspective, mm -hmm. he mentioned their road warrior team. When he told me that, it's funny because actually when they said that, because I had, I had like four companies on my list that I thought were good for uh -huh. the individual 1099 experienced agent. And, um, but when I talked to green payments and they were like, um, they're like, yeah, we, you know, routinely we have different teams and we just, if we get a big merchant account, that's got a lot of locations or they need a big point of sale. We just send a team out to do the install to, uh, from our office. We'll fly right, them out there. Right. And I'm like, what? Wow. Like, like how okay. many people do that? Right. There we go. Like, yeah. that's what I'm talking because it, why? Because again, not because that's, that's not a crazy expense. That is a cost of acquisition today. If you, right. you know, if you're an agent and you're you're going out there and you're selling some big account and it's going to generate two, three thousand dollars a month in residual for the next however many years, it totally makes sense for the processor to have a team go out and do the install. It totally makes sense for the processor to put up the fifteen thousand in hardware costs and right. take that back from residuals over time or whatever has worked out. You know, those those things are crucial because ultimately, I, I always say that you know, eight, 1099 agents care about getting. You know, they care about the commission and of they course. care about the schedule A, but the only thing they care about more than that is just getting a yes, right? right. If I right. know I can get a yes and I'm actually going to get a deal done where I otherwise wouldn't, well, that's really, really valuable. And so, of course, I wanted a company like Green Payments that has very aggressive schedule A's and aggressive residual splits and lifetime vested and, you know, checking all these boxes. Right, but right. to me, almost more important than that was, do they have this legitimate vertical specific company structure, not just, not just lip service, but like they actually have like departments predicated on different verticals and different solutions and different servicing and, and things of that nature. And then also do they have the partnership to back it up to where, when the 1099 comes in, Hey, here's this deal. They're able to actually facilitate and get that deal done and make mm -hmm. it happen. Yeah. Um, you know, to me, that is just absolutely crucial. You've got to have those, those things. Um, one of the other things I wanted to point out too is, you also, as a somebody going after 1099s, you've got to have the technology for the agent and the ISO, not just for the merchant, right? right? All right. A lot of ISOs are focused on, you know, well, hey, guess what? We now have a great solution. Well, yeah, but what does the application and onboarding process look like, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, I'm like, I was asking Green Payments about that. Show me that. And it's like, oh, it's a really simple one-step app online, you know, the, the way it should be. It's a Payfac-like experience. Right. Like, right. that's what it should be, right? For all of the solutions, they're all under this one underwriting platform, you know? So to me, when I'm looking for a partner today, now, you know, today when I'm thinking about a partnership, I'm thinking of, you know, who do I want to send the next 1,000, 1099 agents to over the next three years, you know, right. Um, it's a big deal to me. Like I want to find the, that right partnership. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's easy for me to, you know, it, it's, it'd be easy for me to go, Oh yeah, well, who's, what's the highest bidder, you know, but, right. Right. My but reputation, you don't want to really do that because that, that diminishes your, your esteem. Right. And it's like my reputation. I want to protect that. And so mm -hmm. when I'm looking for a company, I think what I'm looking for, I believe, I hope is what 1099s are looking for as well, because I talked to so many of them. Right. And I think if you're out there right now and you're like, Hey, we're trying to build a team of 1099s, I would say, make sure it's a real partnership. Make sure you're willing to make those financial investments. And again, you can structure that a lot of different ways. You don't have just, you know, Ben's not saying, oh, we just give the equipment away for free and we never try to get any of the money back or share that that burden with the agent. It's just, you got to provide the financing. You got to provide the capital. Mm -hmm. Like you got to be able to cover the cost of acquisition and you got to be vertical specific in your approach 
to make sure you have the right solution for the right vertical and you have the support necessary to really make that verticalization happen and realize that in a practical way for that 1099 that's out in the field. So um, all that to say, obviously, again, I really do support green payments. Uh, this podcast obviously is a bit of a plug for them, um, but I think there's you know there's a reason that I partnered with them and hopefully you all got to see that in the interview we just did. Um, but I'm really, really excited about it. If you're an experienced 1099 agent, it would be a huge personal favor to me if you would reach out and just have a conversation, see if there's some synergy there. Again, it's greenpayments.io. Uh, go check it out and let them know that uh, James Shepard and Patty Murphy sent you from the podcast. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. You know, James, buy now, pay later has been on fire this holiday season. Um, yes. Adobe Analytics reports that retailers rang up $7.3 billion wow. in buy now, pay later transactions just between the 1st and the 26th of November. What? Yes. That's crazy. Wow. I had no idea the numbers were that high. I knew it was going well. I didn't realize it was that big. Ah, that's, that's not even Black Friday. That's crazy. I know, right? I mean, that's that's not even, but it's, it's like up to, actually, I'm looking at my calendar. I have to turn around for a second. I think it did include Black. Yeah, it included all the way up to Cyber Monday. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. So that's right. The 22nd was, that was Black Friday right. and Cyber Monday. So Black but Friday. Still though, some point, yeah, I think it was only like nine point. What was the number for, I can't remember what it was for online sales. I was looking at it. Anyway, yeah, but it, yeah, that's a, but that's a huge, huge number. Huge, huge number. number. And and of course, most of these are online, obvious, you well, know, course, obviously. Right. Sure. Yeah. And of course, that's what Adobe Analytics does. But, you know, to put this in perspective, I was thinking about this when I was, you know, writing, I wrote up a, a piece on it for the green sheet. And I was thinking about it that um, when I, back in the 90s, you know, in the 1990s, that is, <laughs> for those who are young. Um, and, <laughs> I, think, I think we knew that, Patty. We know, okay. we know you've been in the industry a while, but. But just in case. No, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't, I'm not that old people, right? Back yeah. in the 1990s and the early 2000s, we used to compile at the green sheet a list of billion dollar acquirers. And when I took over the task in the late 90s, 7 billion was a respectable yearly total value of transactions. Right. 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 Now we're talking about in one month, one type of of credit product. Right. Remarkable. Anyway, yeah. back to the subject at hand. Adobe expects that when all is said and done, consumers will choose the pay later option for 17 billion dollars in purchases this holiday season. Wow. Hmm. Now, that's because the season and just to put this in perspective, the season, quote unquote, uh, for Adobe's purposes, is October 1st through December 31st. So, right. Okay. Got it. It's three months. Yeah. Now, you know, consumers like buy now, pay later because, as they've told no numerous pollsters, they're drawn to the repayment terms, the budgeting mm -hmm. benefits, and the cost because basically right. it costs nothing if you pay it back in the installments as, right. Right. You know, as, as, as you agree to. And um, according to, um, Research by Motley Fool, 30, just to sort of put this in perspective, 35% of Americans have used buy now, pay later mm. this wow. year. Oh, this year already? Just this year. 
Wow, that's a huge number. Yeah, that's a huge number. And I have to admit, I'm one of them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I um, and I do it. I did it mostly because I wanted to see how it worked. Yeah. Well, remember I said that. Why I did that with um, you did it with furniture or something, didn't no, you? No, it was last year. I did. Uh, uh, I was getting uh airline tickets with Southwest to fly right. my whole family out. And it was right. one of those things where it was like, I don't know, it was maybe seven grand or something like that. And it was one of those things where I'm like, well, I don't want to use my my debit card or my credit card. They both have a single transaction limit. It was like 11 o'clock at night. Right, right, right. And I was like, oh, there's a buy now, pay later option. Okay, instead of me calling and trying to get a limit on the one transaction, like maybe I'll just go ahead and do this on buy now, pay later. And it was actually a really cool experience. I thought it was great. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I used it because, you know, I have, I, I, I like to buy tools for doing landscaping and gardening because yeah. those are things okay, I sure. really like. Okay. Mm -hmm. And and there was, you know, this one thing that I wanted. It was a special kind of mulcher. And it was like, yeah, I could put it on my credit card. Right. But wouldn't it be really cool just to pay it off every other yeah. week? Yeah. You know, and it, it you know, it I didn't even notice it. It was almost a you know right a knit on my checking account. You know, right. in fact, when I saw it on the, when I would check my balance, it's like, yeah. what was, what was that $20 thing for or whatever right, $20 right, right. thing for, right? Yeah. So, but it is true that there are some folks who probably should not be buying um, and paying later. Sure. Um, and it shows because one in three uh, buy now, pay later customers at risk, um, who say that they're at risk of not being able to cover their basic financial needs hmm. um, had used buy now, pay later in the previous 90 days, according to a survey that was done by J.D. Power. I believe it was hmm. in September or October. Sure. And about one in four um, have missed or made payments late. Hmm. Um, and of course, that's when the fees kick in. Right. So it's not, not cheap right. anymore. Right. But, right. Sure. But there are a lot of folks like you and I who are not financially fra fragile, who borrow on, you know, to borrow a term from the New York Fed uh, report, a report by the New York Fed, um, who like this. And just as you and I just discussed, yeah. there's just certain there's some ways. convenience aspect. Yeah, there's certain situations where it's a really good fit. Yeah, I really think so. And I think, um, you know, I just to, I saw in the J.D. Power um, research. One in four people who consider themselves well healed, that is, they have no trouble covering their basic financial needs, had used it in the previous 90 days. Right. Um, huh. And, you know, they say, you know, like the, the biggest reason that consumers gave for liking this is the repayment terms. It's just a lot easier than building up your credit card. I right. know with me, I like to pay off my credit card balances every month, but sometimes I get a little behind. Hmm. And I hate the idea of paying 21% interest on an impulse. Right. Purchase, right. right. You know? so, sure. Yeah. You don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, morning consult studied the market and found an overwhelming majority, not 69% are Gen Z adults and millennials who are characterized as mid to high income individuals. Hmm. So that's pretty in interesting right there. The yeah. one thing I would say is, um, you know, as as Morning Consult pointed out, uh, you got to be careful about these people that are in fragile financial health, right, um, sure. because if this gets at spins out of control, right, you'll have overregulation and things like that will, will come in. And yeah. I mean, I think I think the other interesting thing for our audience, of course, is that you know this is an opportunity. I mean, there's definitely a lot of uh, yes. a lot of different companies out there. We've had different ones on the podcast yes. where 
they now have reseller programs. A lot of the BNPLs now have reseller programs where they integrate in. And so mm -hmm. there's different ones to look into, but I think that's a, that's you know, a this is an opportunity. Yeah. It's something where yeah. you think about that much revenue at stake. The question is, are your merchants getting a cut of that 7.8 billion? You know, are they able to offer buy now, pay later? And if not, right. it's probably time to start looking for a partner. Yeah. And I agree with you on that. And then also when you think about the, the margins are huge. Yeah. In terms sure. of what merchants are willing to pay. Absolutely. Because they know so, because they know they're getting revenue that they otherwise wouldn't get. That's the thing. It's exactly. just like uh just like DoorDash or Uber Eats, you know, when they're mm -hmm. they're paying 25, 30, 35% because they know this is an order that's coming from DoorDash right. that if it didn't come if they are if they're not on DoorDash, then that person's gonna order something else from DoorDash. Exactly. So this is revenue they otherwise wouldn't get. Same thing with BNPL, they're willing to pay a really high rate to the BNPL sure. provider to finance it because they know, hey, this person, if they didn't have BNPL available, they probably wouldn't buy that mower or they probably wouldn't buy that, you know, Mulch flat screen or TV or whatever it is. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yep, exactly. exactly. So, yeah. Good stuff, Patty. Thanks for the update. Sure thing. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.